This is the ATP Tennis Radio Podcast. Welcome to the latest show. I'm Seb Lozier, and this week I was joined by a man with six ATP Tour titles to his name and two tantalising Grand Slam finals. He's reached a career-high world number five from South Africa, now at home in the States. This is, of course, Kevin Anderson. Kevin joined me on the line, and we touched on all of that and more, including an injury-plagued 18 months or so. And to start with where the lockdown had at least given him a little more time to recover. It was a bit of a weird timing for me just because I had knee surgery like right before the tour was shut down. And, you know, early on, I thought I was going to be ready for the clay season. And that's what I was sort of really training to get ready for. And then things were pushed back. But I, I mean, for the most part, I've just tried to make the most of the situation. You know, early on, I sort of extended my recovery period by about a good, you know, four or five weeks before I actually then got back out and caught again. And, you know, since then I've been training. You know, I have a friend who has a court at his house. So that's been, you know, a really nice setup. And I've, you know, I've really enjoyed going out there. I've, you know, you're trying to manage how much, you know, you're training to keeping the body healthy, but I feel like we've done a good job with that. Yeah, it's been a bit of a tough, you know, just from a tennis standpoint for me, almost 18 months now, because mm. unfortunately last year I was only able to play five events the whole year. Um, so it's actually been quite some time since I was, you know, in that regular routine of competing and playing tournaments. Um, but I uh, tried to do as much as I can uh, in terms of taking care of my body. I mean, I'm, 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 it's always been a high priority for me. I sort of look at this as much as I can that you know, these six months that I wasn't able to play, I, I can hopefully uh, add on to the end of my career and you know, play for six months longer, sort of having that mindset. But I mean, all in all, things have been really good from that standpoint. Of course, it's always a little bit different when you're out at tournaments competing. There's different, I think, stresses on the body. So that's something we're going to have to manage when tournaments start up again. But up until then, I feel very positive and encouraged by how my body's feeling. It's the best it's felt in you know, a really long time and it's taken a lot of work to get there. But now it's just about staying patient and being smart. And uh, fingers crossed, we'll be able to get out on tour pretty soon. You mentioned the need to manage the body when you get out there also for, for the benefit of the listeners who you know aren't at the, the elite end of sport even when you train though how, how conscious are you of managing the you know the body in terms of the knee or the ankle or whatever it might be well right now at least for me and especially when I, where I'm at in my career it's you know the most important thing everything evolves around staying as healthy as possible I mean it's not realistic to think that nothing is going to be bugging you and even when I've been training these last six, you know, six, eight weeks, there's, there's always niggles that come up and, you know, you only start worrying when they get to a point where it's, where you're compensating and it's affecting the way you're playing. I mean, that's really, you don't want to be out there, but I'd say right now we probably are on the side of caution, whereas maybe in tournaments you'd push through a little bit more, but yeah, the way my schedule set up, I think we found a good balance between still working hard and still getting stronger and quicker and all the things that I want to do from a physical performance standpoint, but also from that maintenance level and, you know, keeping healthy and, 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 and keeping fresh. And uh, I think also mentally it's been challenging when, you know, as tennis players, we've never been in this position where you don't know 
when you're going to compete again. I mean, I'm sure, you know, every athlete could say the same thing. And uh, so it's, you know, time's a little bit weird when you're out there and you're like, man, I don't know when I'm going to be competing again. So it's important to look at it the right way. But I think as a team, we've done a really good job with that. When you do get back out there competing, because of the 18 months you've had, which you mentioned, you, you'll be starting from a ranking of 123, um, which obviously for a, for a guy like you is, you know, is a high ranking. Where are you in your own head in terms of ranking at the moment? Yeah, I mean, sort of what I said earlier, it's, it's just been strange for me. I mean, literally in the last 18 months, I've played, I think, maybe seven tournaments or so. So, you know, the ranking is what it is right now, but... I know that it's just because I haven't really had a chance to go out there and compete. It's not being a reflection on anything else. So it is sometimes tricky when you go back. Obviously, I've, I do have a protected ranking. So that's useful in terms of being able to you know, get in without the added extra qualifying matches, but don't have any um, security, if you will, about not being seated. I mean, not that there's any time an easy match, but uh, you know, going up against you know, first round, whether it's the number one in the world or whoever it might be is obviously can make that even more challenging. But I feel like that's out of my control. I've, you know, my mindset is that I'm going to do everything I can on my side of the court and control what I can control. Um, You know, it's very sort of cliched saying, but there's so many different levels of that. And, you know, I I feel like that's a, you know, as simple as the saying is, there's really a lot of merit and meaning behind it. So, I mean, my goals are as though I was ranked you know, where I was five in the world or whatever it might be. I mean, my goal is not just to get back to the top. I mean, I've got some very um, challenging goals that I've set for myself. And, uh, you know, that's what I'm looking at. Um, my biggest goals is, you know, is to win a Grand Slam, you know, behind that um, on the Masters side as well. Um, those would be, you know, two of the biggest goals that I have. Obviously, they're you know, difficult. I've come close a couple of times, especially, you know, t- two slams. I mean, you know, we, we're living in an era where there's uh, a few guys who have been there very often, but um, and there's a whole bunch of other guys coming through. Um, but I have a lot of belief and confidence in myself, my experience, what I bring to the court. So, uh, you, know, my, you know, my goals is, you know, to go out there and, um, you know, and win tournaments. Well, funnily enough, as this podcast goes out, two years to the day, you'd have been playing the Wimbledon final. Let's pick it up in the quarterfinal stages because... That's where, you know, it, it, it got a little bit, well, it was, it was outrageous what happened, really. Two, two sets down, match point down against not only anyone, but Roger Federer. Um, how on earth did you turn that round? Look, the match started really poorly for me. I remember going out into the court and um, I kind of like uh, <laughs> messed up on the, on the timing before the match in terms of getting ready. And I remember all of a sudden we had a walkout time and I was not ready to go onto the court at all and you know playing Roger in the Wimbledon you don't really have much flexibility so I remember being very you know quite frazzled taking the court and playing against somebody like Roger who starts off matches so well um you know I really um felt out of sorts in the first set and even at the end of the second set I was just quite pleased that I had settled down and I was at least giving myself the chance to compete um I feel at that stage I played better a few times and you know, the nose and just playing him, it got in the better of me. And I never felt like I'd given myself a fair shot against, you know, playing him. And as the second set went on, and even though I was down and as the third set went on, you know, I was, I was, I remember even having a thought that even if I lost that match in straight sets, I thought there was, you know, some really good, you know, improvements for me of just being able to be out there, feel comfortable, you know, and play my game. And, 
you know, when match point came along, my only real thought was saving that point and didn't really think, you know, too much of it. And, you know, I was always going to compete my hardest every single point. And, you know, I was able to slowly find a way back into the match. And um, obviously I thought I did a really good job of keeping, um, you know, keeping focused, um, keeping relaxed, um, keeping up the belief in myself. And uh, as things went on in the fifth, it became very apparent that, you know, this was anybody's match. And uh, obviously it was great to finally get the break. And then, uh, you know, I felt pretty um, confident going out there and definitely a little bit nervous, but, you know, I played a good game and uh, obviously it felt great to get that win. Four hours, 14 minutes. Uh, and which is a long match, you know, in anyone's, you know, in anyone's language, but it, <laughs> it ended up, you know, being usurped by this marathon of six hours and 36 minutes against John Isner. I mean, a historical match, not just a tennis match, a a match that in many ways made history. Yeah, I think there was a few records from that match. I mean, you know, going into the match, I knew it was going to be a tough one. I've played John a number of times and, you know, I know the challenges of facing him and his game and, you know, finding ways into his serve games. But I mean, you know, at that point in time obviously I was, I was feeling really good I was, I was playing great tennis um, even though I played a lot of tennis I mean up until that point not just a long quarterfinal match but even my match against Monfils I don't know what the exact hour count was but it was you know four real close tiebreak sets so that was probably well into the three hours I guess and uh, physically I felt really good got off to a good start and winning the first set and then I think it was maybe in the second or the third set, you know, I was, I was, I was up a break and then I ended up getting broken back and losing the set. And, you know, I'm sitting down there two sets to one down. And I mean, I kind of felt like I'd let a few opportunities go, but I think what I, what I did a really good job with there, just like I did with the Federer match. And, you know, to be honest, just that's something we had focused as a team. And I think one of my strongest attributes is, you know, staying in the moment as much as I can, you know, keep fighting, you know, I found a way through the fourth set. And then, you know, starting the first set, uh, you don't know what to expect. But I think in hindsight, even though I was serving second and having to stay in the match the whole time, and I mean, obviously it took me 24 or 25 games to finally get a break. I always felt like I was making a few more inroads on his serve games um, than he was on mine. I, you know, I didn't face any break points in that first set. And I felt with him, I was... There was a few games where I had like low 15s or 1530s and you know he you know he does an unbelievable job of you know finding his way out of those positions um but I just really stayed in the moment and uh you know eventually was able to you know get that break and uh it was very you know very special moment serving for that and you know putting myself in the finals yeah 10 hours and 50 minutes you play for the quarterfinals and the semifinals. What were you thinking then, stepping on court against Novak Djokovic? Do you, do you allow yourself any kind of, you know, feeling of, well, I'm a bit tired, you know? Mentally, how do you approach that when you know that you've had so much taken out of the tank? Do you have to just block that away or do you acknowledge it? How do you deal with that? Yeah, I mean, I think that's one of the, you know, the challenges of facing, you know, in our era, specifically Federer and Adal Djokovic in that, moment i mean facing anybody in a grand final i mean there's going to be things you have to deal with but especially facing those three people who are so experienced that in a in a best case scenario you know you really have to have a lot of trust and belief in yourself and you know that's what i'm you know spend a lot of time working on now and you know through visualizations and you know etc cetera, etc cetera. it's really part of my training so finishing that semi-final match and 
I remember, you know, at some point on the, the day before having sort of concerns and worries that I might not even be able to like finish the match in the finals and sort of that itself, you know, was, you know, looking back at it, obviously, you know, not a good sign. And I mean, you know, to be, I mean, the reality of it, that was a situation, as you just said, you know, so I played a, a lot of tennis. I mean, my body was really, you know, hurting. And so you're kind of weighing that up with, you know, to have yourself any chance of winning the match against him in the finals. I mean, you really have to know that you can do it. So that was a little bit of a difficult challenge for me. And I think that sort of showed itself, especially in the first couple sets. And because when I took the court, I actually physically felt much better than I thought I was going to. And, um, you know, obviously it would have still been, the odds were stacked against me, but I would have loved to at least take in one of those set points in the third set to, um, you know, take the, you know, to at least continue the match. If you can have that game back, would you do anything differently? Yeah, I mean, obviously at the time, it's, you know, I felt I did a pretty good job overall of the way I was able to recover. And I mean, at least give myself a chance of taking it to the fourth set. I mean, you know, looking back at it, yeah, I mean, it's kind of pointless, but I mean, I guess I would have told myself that, you know, as tired as you are physically and, you know, you're actually going to be okay. And, you know, as much as you can just sort of focus more on the match than, you know, how you're going to feel in the match. You mentioned there your, your visualization techniques, and I know you've worked a lot on the mental side of the game. I think we've spoken about it in the past. Your, your coach, Jay Bosworth, said about you recently, I don't think I've ever seen a player go to further lengths to change how they think psychologically to help them be more successful. Can you help us understand just what it is you're doing that he would even say something like that? Yeah, I mean, you know, especially as you get on in your career, there's... Um, you know, in terms of the way you compete, your personality, it's it's not always easy to make those changes. You know, it's much easier to uh, change maybe a four-inch swing or a serve or some sort of tactic. And, uh, you know, I think we all have sort of comfort zones that we're very uh, comfortable in. And uh, uh, for me, some of my biggest strengths that helped me get to where I was in the world at that time needed to change a little bit. Um, and I think that's what he's sort of referencing. I mean, I think my work ethic and always wanting to keep improving and uh, keep working hard and, you know, finding ways just to um, make those small little adjustments. I think that served me so well, but I think there was a point where I needed to sort of trust my abilities and trust all the work that I, that I had put in and not worry so much about, you know, am I working hard enough? Are we um, doing everything we need to be doing? And, you know, maybe from the outset, that doesn't seem like, that big of change making that switch but you know we'd need another few hours on this podcast to sort of go into those intricate details so you know I remember that was a very difficult change for me at first and um, you know it's taken some time and it's still something we you know working on but I think you know specifically I think Jay would be referencing there you know stepping out of your comfort zone and um, you know seeing what needs to be done and that can be sometimes really challenging but it's one that I've embraced um, it's been challenging at times, but, you know, I definitely see how it can help me be a better tennis player. And ultimately, that's the most important thing. That win, um, the, the semi-final win and, the you know, the runner up um, at Wimbledon took you to number five in the world, I think. Your your career high, 
on paper, the other big major milestone, the, the big, I guess, tent pole in your career w- would look to be the US Open final. But are, th- are there any other moments that you look back on so far uh, as career highs? Yeah, I mean, obviously those those three you mentioned would be, you know, finals at Wimbledon and US Open and um, you know, getting to the top five would be, you know, the three big swines. I mean, you know, that year qualifying for London finals was a big goal of mine, something that I'd very early on set my sights on. So competing in that tournament, you know, it's definitely something that I was, you know, very proud of and, um, you know, getting through the group stages and, you know, putting myself into the semis as well. You know, I think that's definitely another one. I mean, each, you know, along the way, I think even breaking into the top 10 for the first time, I did that a couple of years earlier. And then unfortunately, the next year, you know, I had a similar sort of sequence of events. Unfortunately, that sort of happened last year where I just wasn't able to, um, you know, compete just through injuries. So, um, you know, all, you know, all of those, I mean, it's funny as, you know, you look back, there's, fortunately, I, I feel like I've, um, there's been a lot of matches and tournaments and moments that, um, you know, I can look back at. But at the same time, I mean, I, I feel like I don't spend too much time on that because I really still believe that some of my biggest and best results are, you know, are yet to come. And alongside the playing career, you, for, for the past eight years, I think, have been a member on the ATP Player Council. Um, you're obviously, you, you obviously feel that you, you belong there. You, you enjoy that role. What, what, what do you enjoy about it? Yeah, I was just laughing. I think just because, um, you know, we would have had the re-elections now at Wimbledon, but, you know, we felt just with everything going on and in this time to extend our terms by six months, which, I mean, I could be wrong. I, I don't know what it is, but I, I think that must be the record in terms of <laughs> time spent in the castle. I know, I know Bruderick did eight years, so I've got him now by, I'll have done eight and a half by then this year. So it's, um, yeah, I mean, it's been, um, you know, really interesting for me. And I've, you know, I've, it's been at times very challenging, just, you know, the, the way the structure is. And there's a lot of different moving parts in tennis. There's a lot of pe- um, people involved. Um, there's a lot of players. Everybody has their own opinions. But I think all in all, it's been, uh, I think, a very re- rewarding experience. I mean, I've enjoyed it to see sort of the other part of the tour and sort of what happens a little bit behind the scenes. And, you know, hopefully making, you know, a small positive difference I mean, again, I know that uh, there's always room for improvement, but I think if you looked at, you know, player, you know, prize money, distributions, pensions, you know, the amount of people who, who I think are making a living playing tennis, I think that's really widened for a larger group of players. And that's been a big goal of the council for a number of years. Um, it's still something, I, as I said, can get better. But uh, I think for me, um being a part of that has been a, a really interesting experience and you know, I'm very glad that I've done it. Other than prize money, which I'm guessing always crops up, um, which are the issues that the players are most engaged in, in general, would you say? Wh- which, which views are you taking to the table most often? Oh, I, mean, I mean, there's been a lot of them. Um, I think pension's been a really big one as well. You know, and if you look at that, that's really gone up you know, exponentially. And you know, one of the reasons it's gone up exponentially is because it was so small you know, up until, you know, just a handful of years ago. So that is something that we're still talking about and trying to engage different tournaments and in different ways to, you know, keep that growing. I think that's really important. One of the biggest roles that the council has is, you know, voting in our board reps. I mean, that doesn't happen every meeting. Um, you know, they serve three-year terms. So that's been, uh, 
you know, very important process that I've been part of, you know, quite a few times. I mean, from a player's standpoint, uh, you know, there's always player commitment, um, you know, trying to protect players. That's something that often crops up. And, you know, for me personally, and um, I feel like, you know, the talk about um, the tourist initiatives in terms of um, charitable endeavors, you know, sort of the, um, the environmentally aware sort of campaigns and stuff. I felt like we had slowly started to get that ball rolling a little bit. Obviously, with things stopping right now, it's probably been a bit of a halt with that. And also, me last year, just from a personal standpoint, not being at the tournaments, some of the things I wanted to, you know, try and do with, you know, working with tournaments, it was really difficult, um, you know, when you're not there. So that's something that I hope when things are, you know, back up and running, um, you know, at least from my side, that's going to be something I'm going to, you know, really try to focus more on. And just to, just a final one on this: what were your thoughts on the restart and uh, get, getting getting the players back out there on tour? Yeah, I mean, you know, fingers crossed that everything is going to, you know, go according to plan. I mean, uh, you know, obviously US Open announced and I thought that was great for our sport and, you know, just getting back out there, you know, so many players want to play. Obviously, there's concerns, you know, is it healthy? And I know US Open is working really closely with, you know, officials in New York. Um, you know, obviously, this has been a really, you know, tough, a tough time. I mean... I'm sure everybody's aware that, you know, unfortunately in a lot of places, uh, you know, cases still seem to be increasing and, you know, there's obviously what's interesting with tennis is, um, you know, I had a few people who weren't that familiar with the sort of ins and outs in tennis. They sort of just see tennis, you know, as a sport and they're like, oh, you know, you know, tennis is going to be one of the first few sports to go back. And I was like, well, I mean, that just the nature of the sport itself is, yeah, I mean, you know, you have, two or four players on the court there's you know we're not like in a contact sport but i mean man just the logistical challenges we face um and you know specifically just our tour being so global you know the european union has you know just put in um you know talked about countries who you know potential travel restrictions quarantines and you know when you have players coming from all around the world it's um you know it's really challenging so i know the atp is working you know, management's working overtime to, you know, look at every possible scenario and, you know, doing everything we can. Um, and as players, it's, you know, it's, it's tough because we don't always exactly know and, you know, we have to sort of wait and be flexible. But as I said, fingers crossed that uh, hopefully we'll be able to, you know, get back out on tour soon. Kevin, you always strike me as being a very conscientious, hard, clearly hardworking person taking you back if you'll let me just to you know growing up I guess uh, were you the same were you you always the same even as a kid take us back to growing up in South Africa and what kind of upbringing did you have yeah I mean I think so it's you know ever since I can remember I felt like tennis was you know the forefront of in my mind Um, my dad you know introduced and coached both me and my brother throughout you know our junior days and you know even when I you know, left to college and early on in my, you know, pro days as well. And, um, you know, still guiding me and obviously even still now, I mean, you know, just all the lessons and, you know, the guidance that, you know, I, I got from him and I know one of the biggest ones was, you know, really putting yourself out there and, you know, giving it all you have and, you know, being the best that you can become. And, you know, there's always the mindset of, if you do that, you know, there's no, there's, there's no failures. Um, you know, there's nobody can guarantee you that, you know, as a kid, you're going to be a professional tennis player or, 
or you're going to make it as a professional tennis player. Well, nobody can guarantee me right now that, you know, I can win um, a grand slam, but you know, what you can control and what you can guarantee is you, you know, you do everything you can in order to get there. And just by doing that, um, that in itself is, you know, a success. So I think it was a really good match because, um, you know, he suddenly pushed me and my brother very hard. Um, but at the same time, you know, even as a very young kid, I must have really just had a big passion for the sport and, you know, challenging, challenging myself because, you know, honestly, I can't remember literally one time ever thinking, oh, no, you know, I wish I, you know, I don't want to play tennis anymore. I don't like it. Or, um, I mean, obviously there was a lot of tough times and tough moments and, you know, I mean, that's all part of the journey. Uh, it's by, by no means am I saying it was every day was just euphoria of winning matches or having great practices. I mean, it's, it's definitely up and down, but I, you know, hopefully it's, well, fortunately it's been, it's been, you know, you know, pretty steady rise, you know, since, since, since I started playing and, you know, it's interesting because I, you know, just as I've gotten older and spent time around, you know, different kids and, um, you know, sometimes I sort of think when I maybe see a, you know, 12, 13, 14 year old and, you know, sort of see their, um, demeanors and, you know, I feel like, man, I was like, man, I was sort of playing tennis that long. I, you know, I feel like it's not meant for everybody and, you know, everybody has their own sort of different strengths and stuff. But I think from me, from a very young age, I felt very happy and very comfortable sacrificing a lot of things and spending a lot of time. Um, and just this mindset of I'm going to do whatever it takes to get there, um, I think really has served me well. Because you went the college route, didn't you? You, you had a well, a very illustrious college career with the University of Illinois. Are you then still a, a big advocate of the college route into the pro game? Yeah, for me, it was really, a, I think, a, a, a great choice. I mean, when I was finishing up with my junior days, the goal, we didn't even really know too much about the UH college system. It was, I don't think we had exactly figured it out, um, you know, in terms of how we would work logistically in terms of tournaments, travel, et cetera. I mean, but the goal was absolute of, you know, what I wanted to do. And then when colleges started reaching out to, you know, to us, um, you know, when I sat down with my family, it seemed like there was a lot of merit in this because I think one of the challenges from South Africa is just, we were so far from the tennis scene um, that, you know, when you go and play these tournaments, obviously there's, there's a pretty big cost factor um, we have exchange rates, um, you know, there was, you know, we didn't have a federation that could, you know, support and, you know, send us with, you know, travel teams. And, you know, when we went back to South Africa, then, you know, there wasn't like all these players you, you could keep training and keep improving on. Whereas, you know, in the, in the U S and for me in the college system, I was able to play, you know, professional tournaments throughout the summer in the spring, you competing a couple times every week, you know, Illinois had a, an unbelievable tennis program. We were, you know, ranked one in the country. We had just won NCAs the year before, and it seemed like the perfect stepping stone in helping me establish a base in the U.S., uh, which I think, you know, was a very smart decision. So, unless, you know, I think it's a really great question that you ask, and you know, I often have this conversation with people. Um, I think there's a few parameters that, if you haven't met all of those parameters, I feel like college tennis is a really good option for you. You know, if you're somebody, I mean, as an extreme example, like Nadal, it goes without saying that obviously right. that's not necessary because, you know, you've already broken onto the, uh, you know, the tour and I mean, even not such an extreme example, but, you know, if somebody else is, 
you know, even from their junior days is already well established, you know, has got a pretty good ranking, has got the right support, um, his games, you know, developed enough, then, you know, probably college tennis isn't, you know, necessary. But I think for a lot of players, it's still a really good stepping stone. And funnily enough, um, there was a beautiful symmetry to your first ATP title, wasn't there? Because it it came, having, having gone the college route, it, you ended up winning your first in South Africa. Yeah, um, that was a, uh, you know, a, a great memory for me. And um, going back to your earlier question, I feel like that's definitely um, a highlight for me, you know, winning my first event. It was literally 20 minutes from where I grew up. Um, you know, my whole family, friends were out there watching. And, you know, at that stage, I had been, you know, the number one tennis player from South Africa for a few years. So I feel like winning at home as well made it, you know, I think, more important and you know more special for me but i definitely remember remember that week very well kevin you've been a real sport um just just finally um i mean you you mentioned it sounds like you're looking forward to getting back out on court by the end of 2021 let's say health permitting all goes well where do you where do you want to be are you, are you setting yourself you strike me as being someone who sets targets yeah i mean i haven't looked at it that one but sort of back in my earlier you know, comment, but in 2021, if I'm a, a Grand Slam champion with um, some Master Series titles as well, I feel like that'll be a very uh, successful next sort of year and a half. I mean, that's what we're aiming for, both myself and as a team. Um, so, uh, you know, really looking forward to pushing myself and uh, giving myself that opportunity. My thanks to Kevin Anderson and an extended version of that chat is available on our ATP Tennis Radio exclusives channel on the TuneIn app. Next week, I'll be joined by a former world number two and now one of the most respected coaches on tour, Stan Wawrinka's main man, Magnus Norman. Join us then. If you like this podcast, Please search the iTunes store for ATP Tennis Radio to leave a review. Review, review, review.